Hello and welcome to another episode of the R Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua. Today's episode will be beginning a series on some possible scenarios related to technocracy and doing so by looking at specific illusions, things like 1984, The Prince, uh, Brave New World, these types of things, and I'll get back into that in just a minute. So if you are new to the show or uh, don't really know where you are in the show, this is in season three. This is coming just after a series on secular religion and getting into what technocracy is, which is pretty important if you are not aware. And then also the show, this podcast as a whole, is meant to be listened to as a whole, starting with episode one, because again, all these things build on themselves. I was uh, explaining technocracy before I even really knew the term and said the term technocracy way back in season one. We talked about some of the quotes that I gave in one of the early series in season one, the Corruption Conspiracy series. I gave again a few episodes ago. A few of them were repeats at least, and they were just as relevant but had so much more depth if you had all of that information in between those two time frames. So ideally, go back to the first episode, listen to everything. But if not, at least go back to season three. And if not, probably at least listen to the last episode or something. If you're not familiar with what technocracy is and how all this stuff ties in, you're just going to miss out on a lot of stuff if you don't have all the background information. So with that being said... I will just go ahead and dive into what this series is going to be about. It'll be the next few episodes, or possibly quite a few episodes, but it's all going to be about looking at various illusions, writings, stories, things like this, that can paint a very clear picture of what technocracy looks like and what we're headed towards. This has been alluded to many times over and over again, and some of these are old, some of these are newer. I don't think any of these examples are new per se, but uh, some stuff out of the 80s, maybe even into the 90s for some of this. But that's probably about as close as it gets to the modern age. But they're all talking about similar things. And so since these are all at least relatively well-known illusions, these are relatively uh, well-known works here, I figured that they would be very useful in getting a better understanding on what's going on and what's coming, and especially in the context of technocracy. So I have covered these before in previous episodes, or I, I at least did an episode earlier on before season three, I think right after season two, and gave a brief overview of kind of this framework. It was when I was working it out a little more, um, kind of earlier on in the stages of that. But now I've got it all worked out, and so I'll cover it in some more depth and probably do a separate episode for each one of the illusions would be my guess. Possibly I'll fit in two per episode. I'm not really sure, to be honest. So we'll see how that goes. But the idea here is that if we go back to the writings of William Henry Smith, who I've covered many times, he points out how this technotronic age, or I guess he calls it technocratic age, if you go to Brzezinski, it's technotronic age, but uh, William Henry Smith, it's the, um, the age of technocracy will be one that is focused on the will to know. That is the base main human drive that will govern this new age. It's the will to know. 
But since we can't assess this age historically, like we've done with all the other ages, I've laid out a whole framework for the ages of man and what uh, drive they are governed by and what their qualities are and all of these kinds of things. But with this one, I can't do that because we are at most in that age currently and at the beginning stages of it. And um, at the least, we're not even in it yet. We're just now entering or we're about to enter. So obviously, we can't look at this historically like we could the others. So overall, it's unclear how this will be manifested as a whole. It would seem that it will play out according to two dichotomies. And so, you know, a dichotomy is two separate things, and there's two sets of these dichotomies. Um, So this will either be governance driven by the will to know with a purpose of maximizing the other four main drives, again, from Smith, to live, to make, to master, or to take, or it will be governance driven by the will to know with a purpose of maximizing the will to serve. So if you remember back to previous episodes, uh, Smith talks about how there's these drives to live, to make, to master, to take, and to know. And I added a drive that I feel like he left out, and that would be the will to serve. And so looking at the example I've mainly been using for season three is the original Christian church. That was a movement driven by the will to serve, whereas... Uh, Typically, you would think of something like scientism as something driven by the will to know. And again, we're shifting into this age of science. It will be governed by the will to know. So in this first dichotomy, it's governance driven by the will to know in both cases. But one is trying to maximize these other drives to live, to make, to master, to take more selfish-oriented drives. And the other half of this dichotomy would be focusing on the will to serve, but both with the main drive of the will to know being the most dominant. So that's the first dichotomy there. It's one of these two options. Now, there is a second dichotomy, and this would be that this new technocratic governance system will either be secular or religious. So it's either secular with a focus on bettering the human race according to science or religious with a focus on bettering individuals according to, let's say, biblical principles or some moral framework or ethical framework, something like that. So it's one of the two. Either it's a secular deal, which is focused on the more objective scientific perspective, or a religious deal focused on uh, the individual according to an ethical framework. And with these two dichotomies, there are multiple ways that it could play out. We've got a secular way and a religious way. And with each one of those, we have a focus on the base desires of man or the will to serve. So if we look at the secular path, which is probably the most likely, it would fit with the trend of how societies have been going recently, I guess recently when you look at the broad scope of all of history. But at the same time, if you look at history as a whole, there have been more times and it has been more common overall for governance and for societies to be 
organized around the idea of a religion, an ethical framework, things where there is this religious drive that's pushing society and is that core for society to rally around, that type of thing. So either one of these are definitely possible. We see the trend is more secular, but the overall historical average is more religious. So we'll see how it goes. Another thing to note here would be that, again, we just came off of talking about secular religion, and so now I'm talking about secular versus religious, and secular religion is kind of coming of both, I would probably say that secular religions would fall under a secular society, a secular governance system, not an outright religious one. That is at least how I would parse that issue. And I think it will come up. I know in The Prince, Machiavelli recommends using religion and using that drive of people to help govern and add cohesiveness to the society. Same with foundation. There's this religious following of the plan, and uh, we'll get into both of those. But uh, I think this is used in multiple examples that I'll be going over, but it is not an outright religious governance system. It's not a theocracy or anything like that. And so that is that's the clarification that I'll make there. But with the secular path, if we go with that dichotomy, so the first dichotomy, or I guess the second one that I listed, is that it'll either be secular or religious. If there is a secular one that is the one that takes hold, then when this path is taken, there are two sets of illusions that I believe are illustrative of the first dichotomy. So that first dichotomy being the one where it's either driven by the will to serve or the other base drives. So with this, the first would reference Machiavelli's The Prince, George Orwell's 1984, and the concept of the Panopticon that was started by Jeremy Bentham and then expanded on by Foucault. And so that is the first set of illusions that would be a society that's focused on these base drives of humanity, the will to live, to take, to master, to make, um, all oriented overall under the will to know. So that is the first option in the secular dichotomy. The second option would draw from Plato's Philosopher Kings from Republic, Huxley's Brave New World, and the Foundation Universe by Isaac Asimov. And so this is the set that is uh, focused on the will to serve under the drive um, of the will to know. And these are both, again, in that secular side of the first dichotomy. So when you go secular, it's either oriented around the base drives, which is Machiavelli, Orwell, and Panopticon, or it is the will to know that is trying to manifest this will to serve. And that would be going from Republic, Brave New World, and Foundation. So that's the secular side of things. Then that second dichotomy, it's either secular or religious. So for the religious side of things, it follows a very similar framework. Of course, that's why frameworks work. And so if you go religious, and I will say that I believe this is 
less likely. I do not believe this is the likely scenario, but it is a scenario that many people are pushing for, and especially in America that a lot of people view as a Christian nation, and you also have the rise of Islam that is uh, extremely worldwide, an extremely popular religion that has a similar goal. So it's definitely possible. I just don't think it is as likely, but it's possible. I will cover it. It is definitely something worthy of covering, because even if it doesn't manifest, it is something that large portions of the world population are pushing for. So it would be important to know a little bit about and see how that would play out. So with this, you've got these this religious side of the dichotomy, and it's split into two. It's either governed by the will to know with a focus on manifesting these base drives of humanity, the will to live, to take, to make, and to master, or it will be a religious system that is oriented around the will to know, trying to bring about this will to serve. These are the two options here. So the first set of illusions that I would use for this first option in the religious dichotomy, this would be the one focused on more of the base drives of humanity. This would be Calvin's real-world application of this in Geneva, historically. It would also be the Reconstructionist movement, and this ties in with theonomy. And it could also be looked at as the idea of the city of God by St. Augustine. And so this would be the one version, the one that's focused more on the base drives of humanity. The other option in this religious side of the dichotomy would be something focused on the will to serve. And this is where the idea of the kingdom of God comes into play. This is the idea that Jesus references, my kingdom is not of this world. This is one that is referenced by many others, many other examples. To be honest, I haven't actually written out specific allusions for this one, and I kind of just now realized that. Um, It is something that I've been talking a lot about and referencing a lot about in this season, because it is exactly the view of the original Christians, the first Christian church. That was their view, was this idea of the kingdom of God. Um, I guess I'll probably use some specific allusions to that. I would guess Yeshua would be the number one. And then there's probably a few writings that I would pick out for that and probably will by the time I get there. But for now, these are the frameworks that I have. We've got the secular, the religious, and both are split either into the will to serve or the base drives of humanity. Now, the base drives of humanity are not necessarily bad or evil. It's kind of like the idea of money. Many would say that money is evil. However, if you look, especially biblically, because that's usually the reference there, it's that the, the root of all evil is money. And so money can lead to evil. And that doesn't necessarily mean that money itself is evil. Most things in and of themselves are not evil. They don't do bad things in and of themselves, but they can and often do lead to bad things. Power might be one of those things as well. And so what I would say is that it's not that trying to meet all of these needs and these drives that we have as human beings It's not that this is a bad thing per se, but it does often lead to bad things. And so 
that is why I think most of us would kind of automatically view it in a bit of a negative light, especially as compared to the will to serve. But there are also plenty of examples where you have this will to serve, but your view on service and how people should be and the right way to live might be different than somebody else's. And so that can also be evil. That can also be bad. That can also lead to bad things. And so uh, neither one of these is necessarily by themselves bad, evil, good, whatever. We're not going to make a value judgment in that way. I just want to be clear that they could be viewed in many different ways. Now, another way to look at these is that if you are looking at the base drives of humanity, this is typically a more materialistic perspective. I've talked a lot about these two perspectives in the past, and this is a big focus of the interim period in between season two and season three, especially, I think it was really brought out by that Ven Armani interview. And this is something that is also seen in these dichotomies that we're looking at here, because the will to serve is a much more immaterial drive, a much more immaterial pursuit Whereas the will to, let's say, the will to live, one of these base drives, like that's as materialistic as you can get. So you can go pure materialist or pure mystic or pure spiritual. Those are the ends of the spectrum, whereas there are some that are closer to the other end of the spectrum and can be brought closer to the middle and look more similar. But either way, one tends to be more material, one tends to be more immaterial. So as we look at the secular versions of uh, this possible technocracy, we're going to see that the first one, the one focused on the base drives, is one that is more material. And the second one, the one that is Plato's Brave New World Foundation, that one is more immaterial. And that's how this plays out here. So to give a brief overview of what each one of these is before I get into, I think I'll get into the first example. The first system that we'll look at is a Machiavellian 1984 Panopticon. This is a system of direct control You have the flow of data and information being at the top of the priority list for this system. There is a wide use of things like computers, cameras, wearables. A lot of technology is involved in this system and used very directly in a physical sense. You also have the aspect of the rulers of this system being very known and in the open And the overall control is by the state. You do have a clear governance hierarchy at the top. That is the state. You can see it. And that is who is in charge. So that is the idea of the Machiavellian 1984 Panopticon. With that system, you could also kind of look at it like this. You are an individual being governed. That is how you would experience that system. Now, the second system that we'll look at, this is the second part of the secular dichotomy. This would be the version of Plato's Brave New World Foundation. And with this, 
the goal is to control thought and ideas and culture. That's how this system works. It works through social engineering. It uses genetics to determine class. The rulers are more unknown. They are not out in the open. They are working behind the scenes. Overall control is done through an obscure technocratic council of elite experts. So these are the experts at the top, kind of behind the scenes. They're not necessarily in your face. They're not part of this very clearly seen state governance system. Uh, They are just the experts that are running things. They're just kind of a part of the system and blend into the system. And the way that you might perceive this system from a personal perspective is that you are a part of a society that is building unity. That is how you would perceive this system versus that first system where you are an individual being governed. Now you're part of a society and you're all building unity together. And again, one is more seen, one is more unseen, one is more material, and one is more immaterial. And so those are the first two systems that we'll look at that is the that makes up the secular part of the dichotomy. Then for the religious part of the dichotomy, and again, this is one that I actually haven't finished laying out yet, and I didn't really realize that till I started recording this episode. I, I spent so much focus on the secular side of things because I see that as being the way things will probably play out that I didn't really lay out the religious side very much. So with the religious side of things, the first religious governance system would be Calvin's City of God Reconstruction. And with this, there are definite questions that come into play, but uh, it basically follows the same attributes of the previous ones, where uh, that first secular version, the more materialistic Machiavellian 1984 Panopticon version, it's similar to Calvin's City of God Reconstruction Zone. And so uh, with this religious one, there is still direct control. You know who your rulers are. You know who's in charge. There is a clear hierarchy. It is all oriented around the flow of data and information. There is technology that is used, and it's used in a very materialistic view or way. And the overall control is by the top of the hierarchy, a council of elders, so to say. And this would be the way that Calvin ran Geneva for a time. This is the idea of just about any theocratic system of governance. This is the idea of a material city on a hill that is an example, a shining light to all people. And that city is material. It's a nation, or it is the whole world, or whatever it is. And so this is this first religious option. And it is one that is fairly uh, focused on universalism, where everything should apply to everyone. It is collectivist, and so you are building a whole society and everyone is doing what's best for everyone else. And this is one that is, it seems to be in contrast of the secular version, and that's because it is built on this different moral framework. The moral framework of the secular versions is selfishness. The moral framework of the religious versions should be selflessness. 
And so you have a, a different view of that. But the, the parallel of being material or immaterial is the one that stays very true between the secular and the religious. So in this first religious example, it is very material. You do have a, an actual state that you can see with rulers that you can see, uh, the law, the morality is tried, uh, the attempt at least, is to enforce this on everyone, get everyone to go along with this, and we are all together as a collective, a part of this city of God, so to say. And so that is the first version of the religious technocracy. Then if you move into the religious technocracy that is less material, more of the immaterial version, the one that I don't have uh, full allusions to, that is going to be one that is very different. Again, it is more immaterial. This one is not about direct control. This one is more about uh, focusing, kind of like that that second secular uh, system, it's more about focusing on thoughts and ideas and culture. But instead of trying to manipulate those things, like the secular version did, this version would be trying to influence these things, but on a voluntary manner, with a version of informed consent. They're not being manipulated into doing something. They're doing it on their own free will, uh, on their own volition, and they know what they are doing. And so this is how this second version of the religious side would play out. It is something that would use technology, but again, in a different way. It's going to use it to uh, spread information, spread ideas, to connect people that are a part of this thing, and build cohesiveness. Now, this cohesiveness is not going to be universal like it is in that first religious example. Uh, This one is going to be more individualistic. So again, this is another way where it splits with the secular. In the secular, the material one was individualistic and the immaterial one was more collective. In the religious side of things, it's the opposite. The material one is more collective and the immaterial version is more individualistic. So again, if you're dealing with voluntarism and free will, these things are individualistic. You can't get away from that. And so instead of trying to have a governance system that controls all of society, what you do is you have a system that each individual can choose to be a part of or not be a part of. And those that choose to be a part of this system, this kingdom, live according to the rules and laws of that kingdom. And they work together within this kingdom, build out this kingdom, but it is a spiritual kingdom. It's a an immaterial kingdom. It is not a physical manifestation, a state, or anything like this. And so that would be that second aspect of the religious dichotomy. And this is the one that's focused on the will to serve. So it's not about providing for the material needs of a population of people. It's not about um, trying to satisfy their drives to to live, to take, to make, to master. This is not what it's about. It's about the individual. It's individualistic, and it's about the individual serving others because it is the focus on service. And so with this, again, both of these, just like both of the secular ones, all of them 
are from an overall macro perspective governed by the will to know. And so uh, with this religious side, the immaterial version of the religious system, the will to know is trying to know God better. So, and obviously I'm using a Christian example for this religion. You could technically use Islam. That might be something that might be worth exploring, but not by me because I don't really know much about it. But I do know plenty about Christianity and the original church and that type of thing, theology. So that's what I will stick to. And with this, it's to know God better. It's to be, uh, I guess, as I listened to an interview with Ven Armani recently, somebody else, I guess it's Cyprian now, and he was talking about how uh, we need to build the ark, and that's not a material ark. And so uh, this is kind of a good example, I guess, of this second dichotomy of these two religious systems, one that is a material religious state, a theocracy, so to say, and one that is this immaterial kingdom of God. Well, when you're talking about an ark, you either are thinking of a physical ark. So let's say Noah's Ark or the Ark of the Covenant, that this is a physical thing protecting material things inside of it. It is a material vessel, and it is. So uh, one of these religious examples, this first one, that first system, the Calvin's City of God Reconstruction Zone, that is the material view of an ark. But what Cyprian had talked about in a recent episode that I listened to and kind of gave me this idea is that an ark is a vessel to contain life. And that is the purpose of an ark. It's the meaning of the ark. So with Noah's ark, the purpose was to contain all life, all living things on the planet. You contain it, you protect it. It is a vessel for these things. That is its meaning. That is its purpose. If you go to the Ark of the Covenant, the idea is to have a place where it contains in some way an aspect of God or of the Holy Spirit. In some way, he is manifested in that physical thing. The same with the temple. You have a physical building, yes, but its purpose is to house God, just like any of the pagan temples as well, was to house their gods, and their gods would somehow manifest within this temple, and that is its purpose. Its meaning is to house this thing. And so, again, when we get back to these two religious examples, one is about building the thing in the material world, and that would be Calvin's City of God Reconstruction Zone, and the other is about fulfilling the meaning and fulfilling this purpose of the ark. That is the kingdom of God example, that you, the individual, are making yourself into a vessel that is more able to house God, the Holy Spirit, um, this spiritual aspect within yourself and manifest that within yourself. And that is partly what gives you the ability to truly selflessly serve, because that is not a base human drive. And so, uh, just like with the material version of a religious system that is more material, Calvin's version, um, it's since people don't have this base will to serve— you basically force it on them. You create a system that serves everyone, that takes care of the poor, that does all of these things that you're supposed to do if you are serving others. But it's this very materialistic and kind of forced universal uh, view of it, whereas the kingdom of God is more 
immaterial and individualistic. You don't force anything on anyone, but the individuals that are part of that kingdom will serve others. And it's not that they have to have this state or this technocratic system that's kind of giving them a way to do so. They do so themselves, and they are partially motivated because they have the spirit within them, because they are connected with God, because they know God more, because they understand these teachings more and more. Again, all driven by the will to know, and they are manifesting this themselves with this spiritual help and influence, and that is how they are able to serve as individuals, and it really doesn't matter what system is over them uh, that's kind of irrelevant, because this is an immaterial kingdom. And so that's the way that you could view these things. And I guess we could get into solutions. And I think that might actually be a better place to go than to go ahead and get into the first example of the prince, just because I feel at this point, we're already more than halfway through the episode. And I don't know how much we'd be able to cover with the prince. So let's play off of this idea of what how do you solve this issue of a coming technocracy that might not be of your liking? It has qualities and attributes that are not ones that you agree, agree with. You don't want to be a part of this. You want to protect yourself, protect your family. You want to have a community around you that is protected from these things. How do you do that? What are ways that you can actually do this in real life? Well, the way I'm going to approach this and assess this is by doing it in a similar framework to what I just laid out. And so ideally, they will help illuminate each other and you can better understand each one of these things, both these different systems that I've laid out in this technocratic framework and different ways that it could play out and solutions of what you can actually do and how you approach this even on a more communal level. So let's just start the same way we started before the secular versus the religious, we start with the religious. Now, what is that first religious dichotomy? It is either something focused on the base desires and the base drives of man, or something focused on the will to serve that is more immaterial. Let's go with the material version first, like we did with the other examples. So a solution to trying to uh, basically trying to hold on to some sort of freedom and liberty. Let's define this problem a little more. We are seeing states, governments, elites, uh, big, large mega corporations that are taking more and more and more control over people. They have more and more control over people, and they are forcing people to do things that many of us would believe would be immoral. This is happening, and they have the ability and the control to do so. Liberty is something that has been dwindling away for quite a long time in our modern society, and we want to secure liberty. We want to secure freedom. We want to preserve life. These are the things that we're focused on. It's the light side of the natural order, if you remember that framework. And so with this, one approach would be this more materialistic approach of taking direct control. It's the Machiavellian 1984 panopticon system. And this direct control approach would be one that is being highlighted a lot by uh, 
some folks, I think uh, post-libertarianism is one term, praxian is another term, and I don't know other terms. But you've got a few different people that are discussing this in the Liberty podcast uh, sphere. Might be a fairly niche sphere there, but there are some loud voices that are talking about this. And they're the ones that are discussing this idea about using local politics, especially, and using the state to secure more liberty. So the traditional libertarian view is that the state is immoral, and using the state is therefore also immoral. You're using an evil and immoral system. That's wrong. And so this more post-libertarian viewpoint, the Praxian viewpoint, is that, well, if you are using the state in order to gain more freedom and liberty, in order to nullify some of their immoral laws, then that's not a bad thing. That's not an immoral thing. That is practically a very good thing to do. And usually they don't focus on morality or ideology. They focus more on the practical side of things. Again, it's more material. It's not as immaterial. And so with this, what they want to do is take control of the state. They want to control the flow of data and information. They want to control what laws will be enforced and what won't be, what those laws are, what those regulations are. They want to create systems. And uh, I keep saying they, you could, you know, I could, anybody could, if we want to pursue this route, we could focus on creating systems that are a part of this material governance system, but that secure our liberties and freedoms. So you could even say that something like the Constitution was more in line with this perspective. And with this, you have rulers that are known, and you know they probably we probably wouldn't call them rulers, so to say, uh, probably more leaders. But if you get a local mayor or even a governor or someone like that that gets elected but is a complete libertarian, or let's say post-libertarian, whatever you want to call them, they are someone that are, they're completely focused on liberty, and they want to help steer that local region, that local society towards more and more liberty and freedom. Well, that's someone that you can see. That is an actual person. You know who they are. You might see them on TV. They might be giving speeches. They are doing things in this material control system, the state, and they are known. And the overall control, the overall way to apply this form of gaining more liberty and protecting freedoms, this is all done uh, through the state. It's done through the governance system. And as we shift into a more technocratic system, this is done through the technocracy. It's building platforms that are censorship-resistant and maybe destroying the old ones that are trying to censor people more and more and more. It's about taking control of their system instead of trying to just get rid of it and do something totally different. It's a Machiavellian approach, really. And I'll get into this with the uh, first example of Machiavelli, which should be next episode. That's one of the things that he talks about is that if you are going to take power and take control, it is much better to take over the current system 
and continue to run that current system with some minor tweaks than it is to destroy the current system and create a brand new one. That doesn't work so well. So again, this approach overall of having a more materialistic approach to gaining more liberty in society, securing our freedoms, uh, that is much more Machiavellian and uh, much more federalist. It's This is the perspective that some would seek. So that's one option. Now, the second half of this secular dichotomy of solutions, how do we gain more liberty? How do we protect our freedoms? Well, this would be the parallel to Plato's Brave New World Foundation when we're looking at these potential technocratic systems. And with this, it's more about thought, ideas, and culture. It's about controlling things behind the scenes. The leaders aren't necessarily known unless you just have a few figureheads, that kind of stuff. But it's not necessarily that you have a leader or a ruler that is making pronouncements and changing laws and regulations and all this kind of stuff. That's not what's being done. It's using things like advertising or um, using things that influence people, the media or arts or movies and shows, books, all of these things. It's getting these ideas out there into the culture. This is kind of the approach of the liberty movement as a whole. Let's say the Ron Paul revolution. Now, if you look at a figure like Ron Paul, he was kind of the in-between stage of these two options. So in a way... He was materialistic and Machiavellian in that he did take a position in the state and did use that position to try to gain more liberties and freedoms. That's that's kind of what he did with his political career. But at the same time, it seems as though his bigger focus was to educate people, was to use his position as a platform to get the message of liberty out there and to start a movement. He wasn't telling people, hey, you should go get elected in your local elections, and that is the solution. Let's all rise up and be voted in as libertarian rulers. Uh, No, that wasn't his message. His message was strictly liberty, and typically a more individualistic liberty in educating people, steering, creating, in a sense, this culture through these ideas and thoughts. So um, he kind of bridged the gap between the material and the immaterial Uh, solutions-based strategy of what to do about these things. And with this, it's kind of a similar version of the technocratic control system that is more immaterial. With that one, the control was done through this kind of obscure technocratic council of elite experts behind the scenes that are up at the top of things, kind of really steering things and running things. Well, with our liberty solutions approach and with this strategy... It's not necessarily that you have this council of people behind the scenes trying to steer society towards liberty and freedom, but you do have you do have big influencers. You have people with a lot of influence, wealth and power that do have a lot of influence over this culture, over this movement, over spreading this movement. You might have some big names in the Liberty podcasting world. You might have some big names in, I mean, even Liberty politics like a Ron Paul or Rand Paul or DeSantis, some people might say, some people might even say Trump. And yeah, you could go anywhere with that. But there are lots of big names and ones we don't even know. Uh, You have people like donors and supporters that back up 
uh, big names and make projects possible. You have some organizations that do have a lot of influence. So again, that's that's kind of the idea of technocracy is that you have experts, those that do the things and do the things well. They are the ones that steer things and run things. And that is more of this immaterial perspective. So if this is our solution, if that's the solution you choose, this secular immaterial search and uh, I guess striving for liberty and freedom, then what you are trying to do is to educate people and motivate people towards having a liberty-oriented stance and worldview. That is your goal, and you are doing this through many different modes. And again, it's all technocratic. It's all through technology. You're putting out YouTube videos. You're doing podcasts and interviews. You are actually doing advertising campaigns. All of these kinds of things are being used. Technology is being used to the fullest. You are creating systems and platforms and applications, things like this that are more liberty-oriented, that maybe don't track and trace you, that don't record all of your data and information, that you do things in a decentralized way instead of a centralized way. And uh, something like cryptocurrency might be a good example of this. You could say that this immaterial approach is to continue building out these decentralized cryptocurrencies that are privacy-centric and that anyone has access to, they're open source, all this kind of stuff, that would be this immaterial approach. The material approach that I talked about earlier would be more like a, a CBDC, a central bank digital currency, where it is much more centralized. They do have a lot of control, but probably these Machiavellians would more say that, well, what we'll do is we will create this centralized currency, but that's because then everybody can use it, and we will make sure that written into the code of this CBDC is going to be that there is no uh, inflation. There is no way to create more of these coins out of nowhere. We're going to have a set rate. We're going to have these set rules. And it's all going to be about hard money. It's all going to be backed by a certain asset or gold or whatever. And so they are going to create a liberty-oriented currency and push that on everyone as a CBDC that they do have control over. That would be more of a Machiavellian approach. And it's practical. And there are plenty of people and reasons why uh, that would be followed. And so these are the two secular options, the material versus the more immaterial version, the Machiavellian versus the Brave New World versions of these things. And even in one of the illusions of uh, the secular technocracy that I used. So the first one is Machiavellian 1984 Panopticon. And I've talked about the Machiavellians a lot. That's a actually a book called The Machiavellians that starts with Machiavelli talking about him by James Burnham that's been talked about a lot in those post-libertarian Praxian circles. And so that's one illusion that is very applicable. And then in the second illusion of a secular technocracy that's more immaterial, it's Plato's Brave New World Foundation. And that last illusion of uh, to the Foundation Universe, the Foundation books by Isaac Asimov, in that, and I'll get into this again when I do the specific examples, but there are two foundations. You have a first foundation and a second foundation. The first one is more material. It's something that is seen. It is using material methods in order to uh, basically spread order around and uh, be successful through material means. The second foundation is much more immaterial, working behind the scenes, steering people, steering ideas, 
And so it's it's the same dichotomy. It's over and over again. And it can even be seen in these specific examples and then applied to strategy in current times. Now, the other option is to go religious. So solutions, strategies for seeking more liberty in the modern world as we fight against the technocratic regime that is coming. You know, that's kind of our tagline here of uh, what we're looking at. And so how would you do this from a religious perspective? Well, again, it's a parallel of what I covered for uh, technocratic governance systems. So the first is material. And the idea here is to uh, let's say, you know, we'll stick with this example of Christianity. So what you do is you elect Christian rulers, and you make sure that those rulers are pushing to get God's law as the one that is the law of the land. So in the U.S., you would want senators and governors and all of these types of rulers, ideally a president as well, and people in these uh, influential places of power, you want them to be Christians. You want them to at least somewhat abide by Christian morality, because ultimately what you want is to use God's law in order to write the law of man, of that society. And this was seen in early America as well. There are plenty of examples where a judge would cite the Old Testament in making a verdict. And this would be at the level of like the Supreme Court. So this is something that happened. If you read the Constitution, there are a lot of things out of there that come straight from the Bible. You had someone like Jefferson that he wasn't even a Christian, so to say. He was a deist, but uh, he did use the biblical principles to create this moral foundation for uh, what he believed. And the same was true of many of the other original founding fathers, both the Federalists and the ones that were not as centralized. And so you've got this as an example in America early on in that history, and you see it happening today as well, where some people want to get more Christians involved in politics and push uh, the morality of God's law into the law of our current society, our current country, and kind of make America Christian again is kind of the idea here. And that is one strategy. That's one approach if you go with the religious side. Now, the other half of that religious dichotomy, so that would be the half focused on the material things. The other half would be focused on the will to serve, on the more immaterial perspective. And this would be the kingdom of God approach. And so with this approach, the idea is that you are building out community, you are building out relationships, you're building out this kingdom, and that is your focus. Your focus is that you as an individual are doing things to serve others and to promote unity and to promote this moral framework that you follow. So let's look at this from a kingdom of God perspective, a Christian perspective. The idea is that if you believe that God's morality, the morality that Yeshua teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, that that is the morality that should be followed, well, you're not trying to force that into law so that everybody has to be held to that or else be punished. What you're trying to do is tell people, show people how this moral system, this moral framework, how this is something that is consistent, it is good, 
It is good for everyone. My life is better. I am happier. I'm helping others. They are better. They are happier. It is something that needs to be really seen. It needs to be shown. It needs to be done through example. That's the idea of salt and light. And that is how this kingdom spreads. It spreads more immaterially. It is something that is individualistic, where each individual is doing it, but as it grows, it creates a more societal movement. It creates a collectivist movement, so to say. The church itself is collectivist, whereas Christianity as a whole, at a foundational level, is very individualistic. It's about every individual having the free will to choose. And uh, once you have multiple individuals that have chosen the kingdom of God and are now a part of that kingdom, then that kingdom starts to grow. And that kingdom as a whole is one that is very cohesive. That is one that is very communal, collectivist. And so you kind of have both of these playing out at once. But it is all happening, uh, so to say, behind the scenes. It's all happening on a more immaterial level. And that is this second approach. So again, it's not that you are trying to change the material state and governance system. What you're doing is you're influencing society, you're influencing culture, you're influencing individuals, you're building out community to do so and acting it out in your own life to do so. And that is where your impact comes into play. Now, since Christianity and biblical values are ones oriented towards uh, freedom and towards serving others, towards doing good, towards this moral framework that is fairly universal, I should say, um, this is something that does promote liberty and freedom. And these are actual solutions and strategies that you could use to fight this technocratic governance state, so to say. So those are the different strategies and plans that one might implement or try to work towards in order to kind of fight off what is coming in a completely technocratic hellscape that it is definitely very possible. In the previous episode, I mentioned the structure of a PMA, Private Membership Association. This is another one that is really illustrative of this material versus immaterial approach to strategy. So one strategy, let's say to the problem of the freedom to sell raw milk. Well, raw milk is something that we as a liberty-minded community, believe should be able to be bought and sold on a voluntary basis without any problems. There, That shouldn't be something that's illegal. That's immoral for it to be illegal. So we need a solution to be able to sell each other raw milk. Well, one solution, the more materialistic solution of kind of using the system and being a part of the system is to find a legal loophole. And one way that a lot of people do this is through a herd share. So basically what you do is legally the customer buys a cow or a share of a cow and then the farmer houses the cow for that customer. And since the customer is the one that owns it or owns a portion of that cow, then the customer is the one that is legally in a position to have a right to the proceeds of that cow. And that would be the milk. So the customer then gets the milk, but it's because they own a share of the cow. It's this herd share agreement. It's using the legal system. It's being a part of that system and using a certain part of that system in this materialistic governance system in order 
order to gain more liberty and freedom. So that's part of that very first more Machiavellian approach. And it's a good approach. I'm not knocking that approach. I know people that do that and it works well and it's a very good thing. So again, try to take the value judgments out of these things. No value judgment. It is just different. And so that's one approach. The other approach is the PMA structure. With a PMA, you are basically just changing all interaction within this PMA, within this business, to the private realm instead of the public sphere. And so with this, what would happen is the farmer would create a PMA, a private membership association. Then any of his customers can sign a contract to be a part of this PMA, part of this private membership association. And then any interaction that's done between the farmer and the customers is private. And they can do whatever the heck they want as you know within some limits as long as there is no substantial evil being done and you know again not getting into the details of how that's defined but with this you have the ability of raw milk to be sold of freedom to be gained liberty to be gained but it's not through working through this system and finding legal loopholes and going more materialistic with it it's more of an immaterial approach of kind of just getting out of the system and doing what you want on the private level. It's more individualistic. So kind of like the religious example where the immaterial is more individualistic, but as the individuals grow, it creates this community of individualistic-minded people. That's kind of the thing with the PMA, where it's individualistic, where the individual has a private contract and relationship with the uh, membership association or with the leader of that or with the farmer, whatever. And then as more and more people join, you have a community that builds of this more individualistic mindset of a more immaterial strategy to getting more freedom and gaining more liberties. So we can apply these things in many different ways when we're looking at actual solutions to uh, this problem. And I would say that it is a problem. I would say absolute control by elites at the top that is influ- or that is initiated by influencing us through propaganda and technology and these kinds of things, that uh, this is immoral. So I will make a value judgment on that aspect at least. I do not want to live in 1984. I do not want to live in Brave New World. I think both of these systems are immoral. So I, I will at least say that. And I will say that from a value judgment standpoint, I want more freedom and liberty for me and for society and for others. I think that is the moral stance to take. So I will at least go that far as far as value judgment is concerned. But as you are seeking more freedom and liberty, as you are pursuing this as something that is not just something you want for yourself, but you want for your community, you want for all of society, well, you've got to pick a strategy. You've got to pick a way to to pursue this. Is it more material? Is it more immaterial? Is it more secular? Is it more religious? Now, another example that I'll use will be uh, creating a local community. So we have a local agorist group. Let's call it a voluntary society. And this voluntary society is made up of members who want more liberty and freedom. And they meet together, they share ideas, they uh, trade and barter together and do all of these things. They're building out this community of like-minded individuals. And that is this strategy to build out this culture, to create a parallel society. That is one option. And I would say that's more of the immaterial secular option. And you could also apply that in the immaterial religious realm as well, if you were 
desiring to do so, uh, I would say that that kind of is the idea of the church. So that's kind of why I use this example of the original church as an example of a movement to gain more liberty and freedom, because that's what they were. They were building out a parallel society, and they were doing that without using politics and the state and the system and laws, and they, they didn't go that route. That was not their choice. And so that is why I use them as the example. But uh, this is something that is being done in my local community, where there is a community that is growing, that is this kind of culture shift, this parallel society that's uh, growing and being built out, and that is a strategy. Now, another strategy that some people pursue is getting people together in their local community and starting protests and uh, participating in activism and trying to get people to go out and vote and vote for, let's say, libertarian candidates or something of the like. That is another strategy, and it can be pursued and is being pursued. That is not the one that I pursue. So it is just a different option. It's the material versus the immaterial. It's use the system versus have a more voluntary-based, individualistic parallel system. And those are the options. So uh, I think it is pretty clear uh, kind of where I stand on most all of this stuff. But I I thought that it would be pretty helpful to view things from this perspective, and it should shine light on uh, the, I guess, the uh, perverse version of society that is coming, and this is what I would refer to as the technocratic hellscape, something like this. Uh, That is probably what's coming. And so, um, in contrast to that, we can look at these solutions, and then as we look at these solutions and kind of do the same framework and apply these same principles, then as we go over that framework and those principles again, looking at the technocracy, then it should make them pretty clear, because we have these parallel and these references that we can make. Now, going back to that illusion that Venermani or Cyprian makes about the Ark, this is the idea of building the Ark. You can either build a material Ark where you uh, maybe you seclude yourself in a community, you take an Amish approach, and now again, no value judgment on any of this stuff, but you could take the Amish approach, you move out, and you have this little community of freedom-oriented people, and you do your thing, and you basically leave society. That is an approach. You also have the approach of building this material arc in the form of the legal system and using the state and using the system to gain more freedom, to gain more liberty. You're creating this more material thing of a government system, of actual laws, of actual leaders that you can look to and rulers. So that's one approach. That's a way to materially build the arc. You can you can vote more Christians into office. (laughs) You can do this on a religious level too. That is a way to build the ark. Now, the other way to build the ark is to focus on that other principle of the natural order, that of meaning. And what is the meaning of the ark? What is its purpose? Well, that's probably a more important thing, is to build something that satisfies its purpose. You can build, or Noah could have built a giant ship But if it would not have housed all of the animals and the things, and it would not have stayed afloat, then it would not have met its purpose. It would not have fulfilled its meaning. And so that's why I focus more on the purpose and meaning rather than the very materialistic viewpoint of what the thing is and trying to build it out materialistically. So if we look at the meaning and the principle of the ark, we want a vessel that houses 
and let's do the religious version here, that houses the Spirit of God, that is able to contain true morality and true service and love for others. And how do we build that vessel? Well, we ourselves have to be that vessel, and we have to manifest these things. We have to love others. We have to serve others. We have to build relationships with others. So again, this can be secular as well, where we are trying to help the other people in our community. We're trying to have individual relationships with them on a voluntary level where we are buying and selling and bartering and sharing information and all of these things on a one-on-one level. And it really has nothing to do with the state or the system. We're not materially building anything. Relationships is much more immaterial. And it's based off of our own perspective, our own worldview, how we are on the inside. What are we housing? What are we a vessel of? What are our values? What is our worldview? These types of things. And so if this is the way that we are building an arc, if this is the arc, if we're focused on the meaning and on the principles of what an arc is, then we are going to build something very different. Then this is where you have, let's say, voluntary societies. You have a parallel kingdom that is getting grown. So, you know, again, secular versus religious. You either have these voluntary societies on the secular view, you have the kingdom of God on the religious view. Either way, it is happening through individual relationships, through culture changes, through growing out these beliefs, these value systems, and living them out and acting them out. And what you build, what materially will exist, is going to look very different than if you strictly focus on the material aspect first and not as much um, prioritizing the meaning and the purpose. So uh, that's kind of a good way of bringing in this ARC example, which I thought was a very good one, and applying it to what's going on here. So uh, I am over the normal episode length, not by much though. So I will stop here. We'll get into uh, the technocracy in the following episode. I'm glad I got to cover these things. Um, It's stuff that I've been thinking about and doing uh, a lot recently, especially in the past few months, really the past year. And so it's good to be able to get these ideas and thoughts out there. I think it's something that other people can really benefit from, that you, the listener, can benefit from having these different strategies, from even having a framework for how to form your strategy. What are you going to pursue? And to be actively trying to figure that out and to implement that, to do it on an individualistic level with yourself and with your local community and building out a community. So I'll get into this stuff probably more in the next season is my guess. But for now, I will leave it at that. Thank you very much for anyone that supports this show. I really appreciate it when people take the time to leave ratings and reviews. It's not something people take the time to do very often, but when they do, it is greatly appreciated. There's some people that have left comments or likes or whatever on the podcast website as well. That is appreciated. We've had a few comments come in on Subscribestar. I don't even know if I've ever had any on Patreon, but uh, if so, thank you very much. I It's probably been a while, but uh, either way, I've had a few messages at least directly on Patreon. 
and uh, emails that have come in. Haven't gotten any recently, but um, I really do appreciate it when you guys do take the time to interact in some way with this show or with me uh, related to the show. Um, That is a very good thing, and I really appreciate that, especially those who are willing to give their hard-earned money to uh, pay for all of the things that I need to buy and purchase and pay for and subscribe to in order to continue this show, in order to do this show. Really appreciate that. It means a lot to not have to do all that on my own. So thank you very much. Thank you for just listening. Thank you for being a listener. Please do implement some of these things that were discussed in this episode, especially. Please think about them. Uh, Talk about them with others. If you have not done so yet, join a group of others locally or start a group of others locally. If you need tips, if you need ideas, if you need to talk to somebody about how to do this, reach out to me because... I do have some ideas. I do have some advice I can give built off of real world experience. So I can point you in the right direction at least and maybe even provide other forms of aid. So please feel free to reach out to me. Thank you very much for listening. I'm out of here. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.